You're listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados, Satch Purcell, and Oliver Altine. Our guest today is Lonzo Luconi. Lonzo Luconi is a classical pianist and piano teacher living in Irvine, California. Originally from Costa Rica, he runs the Costa Rica International Piano Festival and the Costa Rica Music Entrepreneurship Seminar. In this first segment, we talk about his early days as a piano student, which evolves into a deep discussion of music as a language. Well, hey, Lonzo. Hey, hey, nice to see you guys. All right, What's going welcome on? to welcome, the Authenticity welcome. Show, my friend. Thank you, thank you. Mm-hmm. And guess who else we have, which is an, a very unusual thing. Well, since we're at my house rather than his house, he gets to join the episode tonight. And that is Oliver Alton. Hey, guys, what's up? Hey, hey. Welcome to the show that you're always here for Thanks. and an integral part of. It's nice to be on this side of the microphone. Yeah. Because normally I record the introductions, but I do that in the privacy of my own, you know, secret laboratory. But here I am out in the open. See, I think it's cool that Oliver's joining us tonight. And there's a reason why he's joining us is because our guest Lonzo is a musician. And we wanted to have uh, the extra knowledge, the expertise of a fellow musician, our very own Oliver Altine, the musician. So that way we could get a little more, a little more spicy and a little more meaty into our discussion. Right. And what the listeners don't really realize until I point it out is that they came dressed with the same colors and they didn't even mean to. That was a completely uh, unconscious accident. Um, they're both wearing red shirts and, and sort of grayish pants. And uh, they both have brown hair and beards, so they look awfully similar right now. <laughs> that's, that's what uh, we musicians do when we have a gig. Try to dress the same. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Matching sweaters. It's the uniform so, yeah. for the I night. got exactly. concerned that there was some kind of time-space uh, anomaly and that you guys shouldn't touch. That maybe we would create some kind of a bifurcation <laughs> in the timeline or something if we... Yeah, got you yeah. guys too close. It's a good thing you guys are across the room. We have to, yeah. yeah. There's like a good six feet we got to keep between us. Yeah, for sure, for yeah. sure. So, Lonzo, you are yeah. a classical pianist, yes? Yes, uh, most days, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, what in God's name possessed you to become a classical pianist? <laughs> um, that's a great question. Um, when I was growing up, uh, I was really never interested in learning an instrument. Um, but of course, mothers have a way to uh, nag you about things. And mine was really pushy about education. And within that was music. And for about 13 years, she uh, nagged me to learn an instrument, which I furiously defended and resisted. Until one day, she um, she comes up to me and, and she says, you know what, um, you know, there's this new school... That opened up. It's a Russian school, and they seem to be, you know, producing amazing musicians, amazing pianists. Why don't you try it? My first uh, response right away was absolutely not. All I wanted to do was play soccer and hang out with my friends. And um, then she started negotiating with me. So she said, "Well, how about this? Just take lessons for three months, and after the three months is over, we'll talk about it." See if you want to continue. If you don't want to continue, we just quit 
and never speak of it again. That's reasonable. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean... Mm-hmm. That's the kind of deal I make with my kids all the time. Right. So, yeah. um, of course, I was thinking at the moment, like, oh, of course, I'm just... I just got to, you know... Uh, make it through the make it through the 90 days uh, <laughs> 90 day trial of this piano lesson nonsense and um i was really impressed by how they presented the world of music to me as you know i had a completely different idea of what, what it was like and uh, i fell in love right away with it and and here I am. What was it that that really grabbed you? So you said it was a Russian school, right? It's I a mean, Russian school. Russians yeah, are pretty hardcore. About they the are music, really right? hardcore. Um, yes, but but in a sometimes in a good way. Um, so, so is that one of the things you liked about it? Is that it was hardcore? And I mean, was it sort of like going to boot camp? I mean, that's the impression I get of like a Russian piano school. You know, um, a little bit. Yes, but they put a lot of value into you know giving it your all. And then a little bit more, you know? So <laughs> right. they, they're really good at, at yeah, bringing the and, best out of and, you. And Russians always sound like they're yelling. Was <laughs> that your experience? Uh, there was a lot of yelling, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because, see, I've always thought that <laughs> Russians are yelling, but they're not. They're just talking. <clears throat> right, yeah. That, so sometimes when, when, when different teachers would talk amongst themselves, mm-hmm. it would sound like they were yelling and they were, like, you know, talking shit about their students. And They probably yeah. were. Yeah. But... Um, <laughs> they were talking shit, not yelling shit. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. They were just talking. Exactly. So you kept with it after that then? You didn't I, quit after three months. I, I kept with it, not only kept with it, but I I almost immediately took it on as a as a you know, as a career. I I knew right away that that, that music was gonna be part of my life in one way or another. Uh and uh, so I was about I was 14, 15 years old when I started, which is considered very late for musicians, yeah, especially, especially as, for as a career, and yeah. especially in the classical world. Um, but you know what? I, I liked it, and I, and I and I had a good a good mentor, a good teacher, and uh, it was worth the shot. Mm. Right on. So, was there some? particular composer or piece of music that you fell in love with or was it the structure of it uh the the daily practice routine just the what what was it about it that you really sunk into oh that's a great question um i think a combination of 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 everything uh but it was i think mostly how they presented music like there there's all these ingredients all these components to it uh, then make up the music, and then how you can add your own, you know, twist or your own um, expression to it. And on top of that, all the different options that you have, right? So I think it, think about it often as 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 we do with words. There's so many ways we can say uh, or we can express a thought. Uh, and sometimes we choose the words, and we can use the exact same words, but we say it differently with the same words, right? Mm-hmm. So all all of all of these uh, all of these um, options and all these different ways of of expression was was really fascinating. Um, was was there? Um, can you recall a particular moment where you really really fell in love with this? Yes, um, <clears throat> I remember I was playing my first uh, Chopin Nocturne. 
I guess it's a very popular nocturne, you know, everybody plays it. All my students play it, and all my, you know, colleagues at the time, they, they play it. Everybody plays this nocturne. Um, but at the time, it was new to me. I didn't know this, of course. This was my nocturne, right? You know, it was like... And that's actually, you know, the, something really awesome, that um, my teachers made every piece that I played very special for me, you know? They, they, I never saw any piece as, oh, it, it's overplayed, or it's too popular, or whatever, you know? They, they, it was always special. Um, cool. and, and this particular uh, nocturne, um, my teacher just gave it to me and she said, just, you know, start learning it. I was not that great at reading or anything at the time. So, you know, it, it, it took a while. But when I when I brought it, you know, in at a you know, decent quality, uh, she was very impressed. She said, wow, you, you actually have a natural feel to this. I actually don't have to explain most things that I have to explain to you know, people of, of, or students of your level, uh, because you feel you seem to feel it right away. So, and and I also got that feedback from other people as well, not just from her. So I knew there was like that validation, like, oh wow, like he's actually wanting to say interesting things with with this piece of music. Um, sure, that encouraged you. That encouraged me a lot. Yeah, especially as you said, starting late, but then having some feedback like that would be. Like, absolutely. Like, like, the, desert, like. There's right? actually, you know, there's hope. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, because um, you know. I, I, I always look at music as being sort of like a language, right? So when you're learning music, you're you're learning a new language. And different languages have different things that they're good at saying, sort of different, different ways to communicate and different ways to express things. And music, to me, is probably the most abstract art form. And so as an abstract language, sometimes it's difficult to wrap your head around exactly what exactly you're saying with music. But the more you immerse yourself in it, the more fluent you become and the less you need to translate it into a different language. You're just speaking in this new language of music. Right, right. So <clears throat> I agree. I, I think it is it is a language and it's highly complex language, highly abstract as well. But it's also easily understood with the right tools. But at the same time, what you say with it may not be understood, but it might be felt Right. Uh, so that's what one of the mysteries, you know, of music uh, to me is, you know, you, know, you and I can understand, you know, a lot of intellectual and you know musical things about uh, a piece of music that we hear, and and feel it as well deeply, and then the people that maybe are not at that level can still enjoy it and feel. Right. Well, w- the emotion like behind with, it. Like with any language, if, if someone's speaking to me in a language I don't understand. Yeah, I can still see them and right. get the emotion. I can see their facial expressions. A little, a little like, bit of what we were talking about with the Russians, you know. It's, yeah, yeah you, can start, you might not get the details, but still, you, you get something. You feel it. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, that's, you know, coming from sometimes nonverbal cues and, and body language. Um, yeah, and rhythm. And the, and the rhythm, right? The pitch. Context. Right. The context, the, the speed, right? The, <clears throat> yeah. 
And I, I just I just came back from a trip to Italy, and I don't speak very much Italian. But one of the things <coughs> that you really pick up on when you're in a different country is the music of the language. You know, mm. it, it, people speaking Italian. There's there's a there's a melody there. There's a melody. There's a different. There's a there's a particular flow. Yeah, and there's also it. a rhythm. And the rhythm, right? And there are certain things that culture at large has learned that it may not even realize that it's learned. Like for example, many of us have been trained to respond to intensity and in music in certain tones. Uh, you know, musical scores are often there, and they, and they scare the crap out of you, b- partly because the soundtrack's there, and it builds this tension, and then suddenly you see that cat running across the hall, and it scares right. the bejesus out of you. But, you know, why do we know that certain tones, I mean, maybe some of that's innate, and some of it might be learned, but now, or at least by now, most of culture has heard certain things, so, so we don't even realize all the different ways that we've been trained to respond to sound. Right. You're, talk, you're talking about film music? Yeah, film and, scores. Mm, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it almost seems pretty archetypal. You know, it's just this idea yeah. that minor keys are going to make you scared or <laughs> melancholy. Yeah. And major right. keys are going to make you happy and joyous and, mm-hmm. you know. How do we know that somehow? Yeah, that's actually yeah. It makes it makes that 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 visual representation a lot more powerful in terms of mm-hmm. of emotion. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, you know, this brings up an interesting question, and I wonder what you think about this, Lonzo. How much of musical meaning is arbitrary, and how much of it is inherent in the structure of music itself? You know, I mean, is does a for example does a minor chord have to be sad? You know, um, oh wow, that, that's, that's that type uh, of thing. You know, is, <laughs> is it is it just a meaning we've imposed on it, or is there somehow something just in the natural world that is that way? It's just like language, okay? Um, we decide the meaning of a word, right? But the word itself doesn't have meaning, intrinsic meaning, right? We just decide that. Okay, it's an agreement. It's an agreement. That's right. Yeah. Um, but you know, maybe. A thousand years ago, if you said the word tree, that would have just been a weird noise. Yeah. That you do with, you know. Uh, and yet, and yet, if I can just for a moment, yeah. maybe, um, I'm not exactly disagreeing, but, but I have a point to add to that, which is that linguistically, there are certain truisms like uh, mama, you know, that, that reflex to mm-hmm. go, mm, right? Uh, pleasure, mm, right? It, as a baby, you thirst for for nurturance right you know that what's that oh that i totally you know? agree there, i totally could agree be some connection and that and that is also you know part of our of the physical evolution of our of our of our bodies yeah you know we, we we're able to make those noises and other animals are not but they have their own you know yeah. ways yeah, of, of yeah. communicating uh and, and there is a study on on exactly this this topic we're talking about i wish i knew the name of the the study but um there's a whole class of study where they look at um, how linguistically words form and and, and how there there's certain tr- like inherent structure to why mm. uh, certain consonants and certain vowels are chosen uh, almost universally right. for certain things. Right. I don't know. Uh, maybe we'll have to so, look yeah, into that. Yeah, that. that's mm. that's very very interesting. And and yeah. And, and going back to what you were saying, so I think one thing is that like that evolution, and the and the other the other part of it is location in the world. Because here in the Western world, we have a uh, we have these agreements about music that are completely different in in Asia and Africa, 
and mm-hmm. in other in other parts of the world even mm-hmm. within our same continent if you go to to south america you might find completely different trends and completely different um languages uh, yeah, or 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 yeah. dialects of of music right. itself and it's interesting when you get um clashes like when you have um one kind of music that suddenly meets another kind of music and something interesting is born out of that right you that's know? Yeah. you know that's what happens with languages too you yeah know, that you know right, and cultures right. in general and cultures right so yeah. so i think that's yeah. that's what makes also the the language the overall language of music so complex and so abstract at the same time because we haven't defined anything you know globally when it comes to music uh to that degree of uh, for example, tree mm. and tree can be translated in probably every language, yeah. but perhaps a, a minor triad or minor scale may not yeah. in a different culture. I wonder, I, I'm curious about this. I imagine maybe somebody's done this um, to look at brains under CT scans or MRIs when people are listening to music to see if the brain lights up differently based upon your culture. You know, yeah. like what, what oh, kind of music that, you grew up Because I, I know there's be been many, many. Uh, Many studies like that, but not particularly like you mean like uh, like yeah. would be like for me listening to some like um, like Indian raga or something like that where, yeah, where like my like, ear is not really yeah like if you listen to an, to an Indian raga yeah. and then took an Indian person and they heard it how, how would their brains oh, light up differently yeah, that would be you know that that would be interesting yeah can, can I can I share a personal story about that oh yeah um, I was at my apartment. Uh, old apartment in Costa Mesa uh, many years ago and I was listening to the radio I think it was NPR or KPFK Mm -hmm. one of those and I was just all by myself I think cleaning the house or whatever and um, all of a sudden I heard this woman singing in uh, she was some kind of it was an ethnic group of some kind I didn't know at the time until they explained later which I'll reveal to you but all of a sudden I felt this overwhelming urge to drop to my knees and weep. And I did exactly that. I dropped to my knees and began weeping. And I don't know if, if, if I thought it was just a spiritual experience or something, but I was weeping for, in a sense, like you imagine um, weeping for God, weeping for forgiveness, weeping just kind of like a spiritual opening in my heart. And at the end, the announcer described what it was that I was just listening to and uh, the announcer said that it was um, some kind of old like a, a, a Jewish prayer song that was meant to bring tears and I thought how convenient that I just <laughs> dropped to my knees and wow. began bawling my eyes out and this happens to be designed to do exactly what it did to me Wow! so wow. I resonated nailed with it. that wow that's yeah, amazing nailed it wow. totally. <laughs> That's yeah, cool. It was cool. a really interesting thing. You know, you know what this brings to mind. Um, thinking back to what we were talking about a, a little bit ago about um, music being a language, you know, being and being symbolic, right? Mm. It somehow it doesn't mean anything. It's just symbolic. It's just symbolic. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, if you if you look at um, the development of play in children, right? The first kind of play that kids get engaged in is called exploratory play, right? It's where they're basically understanding how their body interacts with the environment. So that's where little little kids want to 
move their hands around and bang bang pots and pans right mm-hmm. they're like oh my god i'm making the sound bang 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 and driving everybody crazy right because <laughs> they're exploring the world through play mm-hmm. well then the next phase of play is called symbolic play and that's where maybe a banana's a phone or you know or they have a, a little uh, an imaginary cartoon character in their mind that they're they're having tea with right whatever it might be well symbolic play is very much tied into the development of language right mm. so it's this idea that your mind, while you're playing symbolically where one thing can represent another, a banana represents a phone, you're also having an explosion of your mind's ability to begin to comprehend language, where a word is now symbolic for a concept, right? So, um, so language um, develops during the symbolic play period, and music always has this tendency to bring out those simple pure emotions of very young childhood you know they make Mm. you happy they can make you cry you know there's just a certain innate understanding we have when we hear a sound you know and 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 it can it can evoke emotions because um we developed it while we were young children learning that things can be symbolic for other things and so what did music become symbolic in us for whatever emotions and thoughts and things we were experiencing as children wow that's actually very interesting because uh, like music notation is actually symbolic for a particular sound Mm. right and it can get um pretty heady in some music right i mean um oliver weren't you um during your your uh, university days talking about um how bach would imbue some of his uh, musical scores with um hidden messages that that had like prayers to god or or oh, yeah. shout I out mean, to jesus christ that kind of thing <laughs> we we could talk i mean lonzo and i could probably talk about this for hours and hours but yeah i mean there's all kinds of coded messages in in box music whether it's a representation of his name or something that represents the crucifixion i mean there's well, all kinds of things that are just really cool and for the non-musically trained person can you kind of describe what more or less what that would look like or or what that what that's like well, one of the things Bach did in a few pieces is put his name in there with the letters B-A-C-H. Now you have to understand, in the German musical notation system, H is actually a note. In most oh. European, you know, it goes A through G, and H isn't, isn't a note. But in the German system, they have an H, and it's a little bit technical, but let's just, let's just say that there is an H note in German. So those four notes, B-A-C-H, it, it's a simple melody. Huh. And he puts it in there. Mm. And wow. he would put other uh, holy names in, in his works, right? Or something like that? Yeah, and there's many levels, nested levels of symbolic meaning. I mean... That's really interesting. Bach is a, a very deep well that we can <laughs> dive yeah. into. Well, you know, it's, it's amazing that when you don't know much about music and you just hear something... Um, you know, you get your, your impression of it, right? But then sometimes when somebody clues you in as to what the artist was saying or doing at the time, oh, it's yeah. amazing how your appreciation can explode. Like, yeah. like I, I never knew, you know, when I was just young and I, I, I heard that, you know, Jimi Hendrix played the, you know, Star Spangled Banner at Woodstock, right? Oh, it was, it was kind of wild and it upset people. And then when I learned that he was recreating the sounds of war, then when I heard it again, I'm like, that does sound like war. Oh, I'm hearing bombs going off. I'm hearing sirens. I'm like, wow. And all of a sudden, I had this appreciation for that 
that would give me goosebumps when I heard it. Whereas before, it just sounded like, okay, loud, cool, you know, rock riffs, you know. <laughs> that's, that, that's a lot of the value of, you know, learning about not just the music itself, but the background, what the composer was thinking about and what they were yeah. living at the moment, uh, mm-hmm. what was going on, you know, culturally, politically. Uh, all of that influences the... Uh, yeah, the music because in, in this case, you know, Bach would have never been able to write something like that, for example. Or, right, right. Because there were there weren't even such sounds back then. Yeah, you know, it's like the um, dissonance uh, nowadays is such such a norm for us. It's so normal to hear certain dissonance. But for example, for for someone like Beethoven, Beethoven never really heard what the sound. He never really heard the sound of a train stopping in the railroad tracks. Hmm. Right. Imagine how dissonant that's, that is. A, a, a yeah. Train hmm. hitting the brakes on the railroad track. Yeah. Wow. So Stravinsky did. Beethoven never did. Yeah, that's interesting. He couldn't even wow. ever imagined a, sound, a such sound, just like we probably can, can't can imagine a, a lot of other sounds. That's a good sounds. point. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So wow. how the environment influences and impacts our ability to to create to create music and understand music like gershwin uh, what's that famous piece uh that really really long piece that he did that that um are you where, talking about rhapsody in blue rhapsody in blue isn't isn't that all about like uh new york and and life yeah you know from oh, yeah. from morning to the evening hustle and bustle the hustle and bustle right yeah, right sure. yeah. yeah well there's there's a lot of 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 that in 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 his music uh, I mean, he he wrote a number of like uh, musicals and stuff uh, that uh, resemble the daily life of, of of a city like New York, right? Um, yeah, that comes. That's like firsthand experience, you know. And and of course, it takes someone that's you know very very knowledgeable and, and skilled to be able to to, to express these ideas so yeah. eloquently in music in the musical mm, language, right? Yeah. Um, you know, it, it reminds me of if I see a piece of abstract art, like a painting or a drawing, and I look at that like, well, that's cool. I don't know what it is, but it's kind of cool. And then I see a title for it, and then the title makes it all come together like, yeah. oh, yeah. that's what that is. And then I like it even more. All right. So, and, and now this, this um, brings in a very interesting uh, point. Some music is meant to be... Uh, for that some music is not just like some art is not meant to be labeled or understood fully or categorized at all you're listening to the authenticity show with your hosts, Carlos Casados, Satch Purcell, and Oliver Altine. Next up, we continue our conversation with pianist Lonzo Luconi about the art of practice, the four stages of learning, practical Taoism, and Lonzo coins the beautiful phrase, the eternal ladder of discovery. Stay tuned. So, Lonzo, let's talk about practice. You've heard of this, right? Oh, a couple <laughs> times here and there. So, uh, when you first started at the Russian piano school, 
how much were you practicing? What, what did they expect from you? Um, well, I guess the way that they framed it was you have this piece of music to learn and they show you a system, a recipe, basically, that you have to follow so you can get there, right? And then it's up to you to go through that, uh, through that recipe until you get it. And of course, you have the guidance to optimize this process, you know, as, as you go. Um, I think one of the, you know, the main key points that I was taught was just keep at it. You know, keep at it. And the more you do it, the, the sooner you will understand. Then you have a choice. I can do this only for a little bit, for a long time, until I understand it. Or I can do it for a long time, so it takes less time for me to understand it. Now, when you're getting into into it more and more then they start pushing <laughs> they really start pushing you to the point where you know maybe the, f the first year or so i was practicing one or two hours but you know when i started doing it really seriously it would man i remember practicing 10 hours in one day sometimes yeah yeah i've, I've had a couple of 10 hour days in my life yeah uh, yeah yeah <laughs> uh which you know also i don't i don't think it was as productive but sometimes you just got to do it. Sometimes you got stuff to learn. You got stuff to do, just like with anything. Yeah. You just got to power through it and <laughs> make yeah. it happen. My thing with those long practice days is as long as you're excited to be doing it, then you can, you're still getting something out of it. But I've, there's been times when I was just, you know, I got to keep practicing, go through the motions, keep on practicing, you know, not that into it, but just do it anyway. Well, yeah, I don't get as much out of those practice sessions, um, I find. Yeah, know? but... so. You, you gotta, right. I have to figure out creative ways to keep myself excited about what Absolutely, I'm doing. Absolutely, you know no, I mean? I, and, and I think that's the main, the main thing to keep you motivated to, to learn. But at the same time, you have to recognize that a lot of the, uh, or a big portion of that practice has to be, you know, almost that, that you know, going through the motions, uh, especially, you know, technical training. Right. Sometimes you're not going to be engaged in, you know, in it 100% of the times. Right. But even that kind of stuff, even scales can be fun in a way. Absolutely. I it, think you, know? you have to keep you keep that, that, that excitement on. But yeah. even, you know, even if you might not like scales... But For example, I don't like scales. I don't. I personally don't like them. But, but so I find ways to make them interesting. Yeah. Uh -huh, but I yeah. still don't like them. You yeah. know what I mean? There's like, well, there's like, like it's I like really a trance it. you get in. It's like the scale trance where you just kind of slip into this trance because you've played played the scale a million times and it, it's kind of a comfortable place to be when you get used to it. You know? Right. Right. Like, but what, then it can become change? very thoughtless, or it can become very uh, mechanical. Yeah. Yeah. But what would James Tripp say? The trance of scales. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have a question. Um, yeah. Um, how are you different or how are you the same as your teachers now that you are teaching? Oh, wow. Um, I believe that we are all a product of our environment and of our personal experience up to this point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there are, you know, very deep influences in the way that I was taught that I transmit to my students. So, yeah, there's there's definitely... Uh, a lot of, of those elements, especially the good ones, because now that I understand the process and now that I understand pedagogy a lot more, I can extract what was really good. And then what I thought it wasn't that great, hmm. uh, change it for something else that, that I learned you know, myself by going through that process. Uh, and I think this becomes like a, 
like an eternal cycle because maybe what I think is great is not going to be so great for my student. Mm -hmm. And then maybe when they grow up and then if they decide to become musicians, they will extract what was useful uh, for them and add their own experience. Okay. Right? Does, does that make sense? It does. So, so, so what do you feel like you, you is yours? Like, what do you feel like you've added to that, that uh, pedagogical... Pedagogical? How do you pronounce yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, process. That, that would be correct. Yeah. For you. The, um, I think a, a system, more like written down system of it. I okay. was only told things like, oh, you should do it this way. I was, you know, shown, which uh -huh. was great. Uh -huh. um, but I never had something like, you know, like a piece of paper that would help me like keep my, my quality of practice in line. And I feel like um, that's that's something that's been very useful for my students in particular. So they, you have do you have like a checklist for your students? Yes, it's a checklist. I call it the perfect oh. list. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. What 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 are some of the I things? I call on it the the perfect, the, the perfect list. list. Um, and and of course, there's you know there's I, I have different demands for different levels, but it's it's like I said earlier, it's like a recipe. It's like a you know like a set of instructions. Like if you do these five things you are going to get at least an accurate representation of what's written. Mm. Yeah. So this is, of course, not, not including like, you know, personal expression or a particular interpretation. This is just getting a very accurate, perfectly accurate representation of what's written. And uh, I'm sure uh, most musicians would agree with me that the, the most important element of music is rhythm. I agree. See? <laughs> People will well, dance to wrong notes all night long. <laughs> Absolutely, but if you play the wrong rhythms, they'll start you play the wrong rhythm. The, it's just it's just chaos, right? It's just right. randomness, and and yeah. and people will disengage immediately. Yeah, exactly. So I think the most important thing about, in this case, musical practice is the perfectly accurate uh, performance of the rhythm. That's interesting because I find with my students is that. When you're first learning a piece or a song or whatever you're learning, the rhythm is the last piece of the puzzle to go into place, right? Because you have to learn where the notes are before you can play them in rhythm, right? Um, you can get familiarized with the rhythm first, hmm. then figure out the notes. Interesting. At, it, without rhythm. But at least you have now a sense of rhythm and just put the notes where they go. Hmm. You know, so it's a spatial thing. And that I found that has, oh my God, I probably boosts the learning by 10 times, 10 wow, times faster. Interesting. Hmm. You know, for me, I always, um, me not really being a musician. <laughs> um, well, come on now. That's not mm, true. Well, well I, I, I. You do have experience I, I, with, I am with rhythm. A, I am a bit of a percussionist, right? You um, are on two <laughs> tracks on my most recent I album. I am on your most recent album. <laughs> okay, Thank so you for that again. Professional it was, it was recording great. musician. I am. I am. <laughs> Um, one of the things that always frustrated me about like trying to play piano or a guitar or something is that I, I can't make the notes hit the rhythm because the rhythm is that important to me. You know what I mean? Like I, I, yeah. I, I want that guitar to be able to keep up with what the rhythm is supposed to be, and I can't do it, and that's very, very frustrating. It's, it's frustrating. I feel you on that. Yeah, actually, yeah. yeah. It's, it's probably because you have not optimized the uh, the process of finding the notes at yeah. the right time right? yeah so right. there are ways to do that okay but you don't have to if you do that first then you're 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 sacrificing the rhythm and then 
doing the process backwards Mm-hmm. It, it's it's much much harder mm. it's much much harder because then you you get used to doing it a certain way I, I want to install the right way of playing the rhythm first okay. so that when you learn the notes you you are consciously aware that okay i'm not playing the right rhythm but i'm in a different stage now so that when i'm done with this stage i can now you know put it back with with the first mm. part of it with the rhythmic part of it okay and now i know what it's gonna sound like yeah yeah mm. Lonzo, you're an NLP guy too. In addition to being a musician, um, how have the four stages of learning come into your practice? Oh yes, I mean that 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 has been a, a game changer. Um, and this is something that is actually not exclusive to NLP, but yeah. I did discover it through NLP. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe we should cover what those are for some people ab- who don't know. Absolutely, what it is. absolutely. And this and this you know ties into. Uh, knowledge and practice. There's four stages yeah, of uh, of learning. Um, learning anything, right? Learning anything it is absolutely anything. Um, and uh, first is uh, that you don't know that you don't know. Right? Is this unconscious incompetence? You don't know that you don't know. But once you realize that there is something that you don't know, then you have immediately moved into the next stage. Uh, which is the uh, conscious incompetence. You know, you are aware of the lack of knowledge. Here is, I think, where where learning begins. The actual learning begins because there's awareness and learning begins when there's awareness. How do we move on to the next stage successfully? Well, the next stage would be the conscious competence, right? And I think the spark that begins the process because here now we we're we're in need of a process to get from being aware of not knowing to being aware of knowing i believe personally that this starts with a spark of curiosity hard work too right absolutely now uh, i'm talking just like with the, the very origin of this mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. for me it's curiosity if you want to start the, pro- the this process successfully it's curiosity yeah, there's there's got to be some intrinsic motivation, absolutely, you know, some inner inner drive to push you to that next step, right? Um, so after that, you need to embark in the process, right? It's like, okay, I want to learn. I'm aware that I don't know now, but I want to know. Okay, so how do we get there? And this is where the art of practice comes in. And uh, you know what? What's fascinating about about this is that a lot of the time. Our motivation is unconscious. Right. Yeah. Curiosity a lot of the time is unconscious. We we don't we don't know the exact reason why we know, we want to learn certain things. But we have this almost That's true. Right? We have yeah. almost like this 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 desire, this calling that we cannot explain. Yeah, it's below Sometimes the we can, right? Yeah. Sometimes yeah. we have a very, very uh, specific uh, you know, reason. Like a lot of people that for example learn martial arts. Why do I want to learn martial arts? Well, a lot of people would say, oh, you know, self-defense or it looks cool or, you know, it's healthy, whatever. Um, Someone they know does it. Right, exactly. But uh, what what gives us consciously the motivation, for example, to learn a language? 
well, we need to communicate somehow, yeah? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, how do we learn language? Mimicry and, right? and um, mm-hmm. necessity. Necessity, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, but it, like imitating, right? Our, mm-hmm. our parents talked to us when we were babies. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also make a lot of mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we, we learn to we, delete we a lot the... Of, yeah, we make a lot of mistakes. But you know what's funny about it? Was when children make mistakes with their language the adults find it adorable mm-hmm. and then the kids get more positive reinforcement because even when they make mistakes, they're still encouraged to keep trying because yes. you know, we don't get mad. You said that wrong. You know, we were like, Oh, that's so cute. Look how we said it. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, it, and even when we, when we mess up, we still get encouraged. Well, this be, is, being pattern recognition animals, we notice when, when suddenly we say something that gets their attention. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Ooh, that's different. This is a huge topic, <laughs> by the way, in, in general education. Mm. Uh, and I I highly recommend a book by uh, bass player uh, Victor Wooten. It's called The Music Lesson. Oliver, I don't know if you've I haven't. ever I, read I, it. I, I, I but, like Victor uh, Wooten, though. He's an amazing bass player. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. Yeah, genius. He, he basically argues that we should learn music like we learn language. Mm. And what you said is exactly what, what uh, Victor appeals to, like... Why are a lot of, you know, music educators looking at mistakes in their students as something to reprehend? Sometimes so so um, harshly, harshly, and yeah, yeah. Uh, we don't do that with language. I mean, when I mean, yes, you can very lovingly correct a kid when they say something wrong, but how do how are they going to really learn you know and he argues that when we learn language we don't we don't learn grammar first we have no idea what grammar is right same with music we 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 don't we have no idea about musical syntax <laughs> mm-hmm. right and 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 how to make a, a sensible musical phrase we just do it by imitation mm. Yeah. Right, and the theory comes later. The theory follows the practice. Absolutely, and I mean, and, and, and I mean, just like if you want to learn a language um, correctly, you should very definitely <laughs> learn the grammar and and as much as there is to know about it. But that's not the first step. Yeah, the first step is to play, hmm. to play with it. You know, play with the language. So do it, what the grown-ups are doing. Symbolic play. Symbolic play. So we, we go from unconscious incompetence to conscious competence. I'm sorry, conscious incompetence. Conscious incompetence. To conscious competence. And is, yes. is, is the playing around and having fun, the exploring, the curiosity, that's, you're saying that that's integral to, to becoming competent in Absolutely. a conscious way. Absolutely, in a conscious and in unconscious way, which would happen in the last stage of learning. Actually, if you do it enough over time, uh, it will come to you so naturally that you you have acquired, you know, a, a skill, you're very good at it, and you're no longer aware that you're good at it. You're no longer having to concentrate so much to do it, it just comes Exactly. So, th- so think, about, think about walking. How long did it, does it take to, you know, the average um, toddler to successfully walk and not look like little drunk people <laughs> yeah <laughs> seven to twelve months isn't it something like that so uh, more than little, that a little more than that yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. first, first, first steps at about one year and you can get yeah. you know 
you know, two, two and a half, three years old, you're okay. walking like a normal human. Yeah, gotcha. yeah. exactly. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, and, yeah. and, and how often do, you know, do they, every do they practice day. all day, <laughs> all every day, time. right? All yeah. day, every day. Um, yeah. So you know, can you imagine if, 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 you know, these little toddlers were only practicing walking for 20 minutes a day? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, first you have to practice, you know, crawling. Right there, there's this. But even before that, it's practicing rolling over. Rolling over, yeah, yeah. that's a major milestone. Right. The baby right. rolled over. You know? Right, right. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many months, six um, months or something. But um, so, how how hard is it at the beginning for a toddler to even stand up and and take a first step? Mm-hmm. If you think about it, it's actually a really complex task to walk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is I controlled mean, imbalance. The balance, the, the muscle, yeah. the the yeah. you know the position of the feet. In the in the field of robotics, robots are just now starting to be able to you know imitate human walking. I mm-hmm. mean, and they don't right. even look that natural. <laughs> yeah, it's it's complicated. Yeah, it's yeah, it's so. Not being an NLP guy myself, you guys are saying that the fourth and final stage is unconscious competence. Unconscious yeah. competence. Uh, basically, right. you're not aware that you know. That you have mastered a skill. So when I close my eyes and empty my mind and just play the guitar, and it sounds beautiful, which happens every time, by right. the way. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Every once in a while that happens. That's, that's that beautiful feeling of flow. That's, that's what you're calling un- unconscious um, competence. Well, so the, the, the um, state of flow can happen at, at various stages. Oh, okay. I think. Yeah. But the, that unconscious um, co- competence... Uh, for example, is when when you are when you're playing scales, for example, and you no longer have to think about you know what fingers to place where. Right. Your hand just falls into place. You give your mind a task, and it just goes. Think about driving too. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like when you drive, the first time you drive, you're like hyper aware of everything, and you're still gonna make tons of mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. Before long, you're opening your mail and talking on the phone, right? Driving yeah. all the same Putting time. hot sauce on a exactly. burrito, <laughs> eating it, yeah. Yeah. eating a Chipotle yeah. burrito while driving a stick shift, exactly, right. and <laughs> and smoking a cigarette. Um, yeah, but that's so. Yeah, that's which, nice... which actually does, doesn't make us, you know, perfect. We still make mistakes in this in this uh, stage, yeah. but it's it's unlikely and it's it's far less um, common. Yeah. yeah. Certainly, uh, flow states um, would happen more often in an unconscious competence scenario. And I think that's part of, you know, being at that stage is like you can focus on other things while doing what you're doing, right? I can I can focus on communicating with other instruments while I'm playing mine, right? right. If, we're, if we're playing in an ensemble or in a group. Yeah, absolutely. This happens in multiple ways. Um, being in unconscious competence can happen with within a skill like for example i know how to play the piano and you oliver you know how to play the guitar however even though we know we have this skill of playing an instrument if we if we start learning a new piece we mm. go through all the steps all over again right 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 except we've done it a few times before, we've done it so many times so we've been the process we, we've we've yeah. gotten better at yeah. at the process of it right? Right. the practice of it yeah. Well, and isn't it a part of unconscious competence that you can uh, make adjustments in a way that you couldn't if you were just consciously competent? Because uh, if you needed to adjust, someone said, okay, I want you to, you know, make that sound 
smoother, right? Sexier, so you there or do you would it have double to, time. Or absolutely, something like you would that. have to uh, come down a step, reevaluate before you go back up. Yeah. So even within this, this, in this case, within the same piece, if I mean, you can get it to an un, unconscious competence level, but now that that you reach this this um, stage, I think you you lose a little bit of the creativity to it is almost like you're just going through the motion again so it's not necessarily a, a good thing to always live there when it comes to a particular you know piece of music so you got to drive to 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 be better push yourself to be exactly because uh, there's infinite things to, to to discover about pieces even that you've been playing for many years don't get too comfortable yeah, yeah. so every once in a while you have to come down to earth and like look at the score absolutely and make sure do you ever find that after you've been <laughs> playing a piece for a couple of years you look at the score and you say oh shit I've been playing that wrong for like the last six months. Yes, all the time, all the time. And not just that, like sometimes I discover like different layers of, of polyphony or sound and I see like, oh, yeah. wait a second. this There was like this voice here that I'd never really paid attention to. Yeah. Or sometimes I'll be listening to someone else play it and I'm like, oh, wow, this person discovered something here that I, I was completely oblivious to. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, so the process starts again. It's like, okay, let me go back and discover this. So I pull out the music yeah. and, you know. Um, and don't you rest know, on your laurels. Yeah, exactly. You know, as a jazz musician, uh, a lot of times I've heard, uh, you know, master jazz musicians mm -hmm. give the advice of, you know, first you have to learn all the stuff, but then you have to forget it. You yeah, know, yeah. When it's time to perform, you're not practicing anymore, you know. Forget everything you know and just yes. be. And, yes. you know, you're training yourself to be authentically the musician that you want to be. And so when you're on stage, now's the time to be that. Yes, yes. And actually that, that, that brings me to the importance of the mindset when you, when you start engaging in your practice. Mm -hmm. You got you to gotta have a, a, a very particular mindset if you want to have that liberty in the performance. If, you, if your practice is rigid, your performance is going to be rigid as well. You know, you're, you're just, you know, that's very wise uh, phrase that says you're only as good as your practice. Practice makes permanent. And mm -hmm. right. Right. And uh, how you practice <laughs> right. makes, makes permanent. Right. Yeah. Um, this, this reminds me of, uh, um, if you've ever watched the making of apocalypse now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. The yeah. conversation with Francis Ford Coppola and Dennis Hopper. Because Dennis Hopper was talking about, yeah, well, you know, you're supposed to forget your lines. And he's like, yeah, but you have to learn them first <laughs> yeah. before you can forget Because Dennis yeah. Hopper never knew his lines. Right. Uh -huh. <laughs> right. Well, and, and Satch, where we heard something similar quite often? Uh, in Taiji. In Taiji class. Taiji yeah. class, yeah. Uh -huh. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Sifu Ho. Um, mm -hmm. Where he's saying, forget everything. Forget everything. And then yeah. he talks about, you know, um, you know, to use the walking analogy... Um, he talks about Tai Chi as a balance exercise mm. and um, that um, when we walk, we forget how many adjustments we're constantly making in order right. to just walk or even to stand. And because we've forgotten all those adjustments, we can no longer do what he can do, which is to because he, he he he's able to adjust. So uh, in such a subtle and very rapid way and in a genius way to anything that comes at him. He makes it look easy. He can just toss us around like we're, we're you know, nothing. Mm -hmm. um, and we try to do the same thing and we get thrown or we, we, we look like we're using a lot of effort. And he kind of shakes his head like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> but it's because he, he keeps trying to explain that the balance that you take for granted and the fact that you're taking for granted, you've forgotten 
um, those those automatic systems that he calls that that are making that adjustment. You're, it, that's all become unconscious. Yeah, and he, he right. wants you to make that conscious again, so that you're struggling to even stand up. And when you can do that and apply what you're learning to someone pushing on you, then you can apply that lesson. So, so he's always saying that that's why Tai Chi is a balance exercise. Not because you're supposed to stay balanced, but because you're supposed to be exploring what happens with your balance and learning from it, so that when you then have the added chaos of someone pushing on you or attacking you, you can apply what you've learned about yourself. To that person pushing you, yeah, yeah. yeah. He isn't he. Uh, he's always telling us to take the automatic system off, right? Yes, take, off take it off. Yeah, oh, exactly. yes, yeah. That, that, yeah. and and that's one of the one of the uh, especially when when you're constantly mastering a skill, it's it's a dangerous place to be. Yeah, I think because yeah. it basically you know in this case with music it shuts down your ears. Oh and, yeah, it's a good way to uh, say that. Yeah, hmm. yeah, and, and then you're no longer listening. <laughs> so taking the yeah. automatic system off would that be the same as going from unconscious competence back to conscious competence? Yes, you can certainly go yeah. back. Mm-hmm. That's that's a pretty direct parallel. Yes, there. yes, yeah. and that's that's a little bit of, of of the mindset. I think if you if you begin almost with that premise of I'm not my goal is not to get to unconscious uh, competence in this case. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, you know, learning this process in all the different ways that I can. Yeah. It sounds like, yeah, it's a good way of putting it. Yeah. sounds like you reach unconscious competence and then you choose to keep it conscious. So this is like the eternal ladder of discovery in, in, in this learning process, because there's always something that you can do better, right? I like that. The eternal ladder of discovery. Yeah. That's a beautiful phrase. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, did, is that your, did, did I just your came teachers up with use that? that? You just, you just no, coined just, that phrase on the spot right now? Yeah. <laughs> that was his unconscious competence <laughs> creeping <laughs> through the right. uh, microphone like there. And you just made it conscious again by, yeah. by pointing Good it job, out. Good job, Oliver. Exactly. Yeah, nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, yeah. And that, now, with that said, you also have to be very careful not to obsess with this. <laughs> Yeah, because then you're also taking away what's important. You gotta always, you know, keep in mind. Okay, what, what, what is, why am I doing this? Right? What is the reason? What is the purpose what's of the me? Purpose? Of me trying to adjust this? If it's not, if you know, if it ain't broken, right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, and we all have a limited amount of time here. You know in a day on this earth in our lives so you know you gotta spend right. your spend your time wisely absolutely yeah. and you gotta yeah. make it practical right you yeah. gotta in, in this case you know i'm talking about a technical aspect of it, it it's got to be in service of the greater purpose which is you know making the music expressing your idea yeah right yes if you're not satisfied with the way that you are performing it yes by all means work at it until you get it but if you are getting it and now you're just obsessing about it, then it's no longer practical. Right. Yeah. It, it always amazes me how excellence is excellence, meaning that when you see excellence, um, you can always find parallels with other types of excellence. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I mean, to bring it full circle yeah. again, that, that comment you just <clears throat> made, um, you know, Tony or Tony Ho, Master mm-hmm. Ho, is, is, is always saying, uh, also, uh, don't try to be good, just try to understand Tai Chi. Mm-hmm. What is the purpose? Mm. What's the purpose there? Right, right. And yeah. just, and just yeah. I think if you're clear, you know, with that purpose, in, in, in my particular case, um, what do I want to get out of this piece? And what do I want others 
to to enjoy particularly you know what mm-hmm. discoveries can i can i make about this piece that i can share with others mm-hmm. you know? yeah and and you have to be okay with it not being 100% perfect uh mm-hmm. because that's not what it's about yeah right yeah and it's it's well first of it's first is about enjoying that process and then taking your listeners through the through the uh results of going through that process mm-hmm. and uh and and you also yeah you gotta be you gotta be at peace with that with yourself and you know how very Taoist of you to say this <laughs> you know it's this Taoist idea you know that yeah you're you're practicing excellently but right. you're, you're not straining you know you're not really striving you're just accomplishing mm. you know this right. idea accomplish without straining the part that i really specialize in as an educator is that process from beginning to end okay so just uh so understanding the purpose is important but then okay let's let's get to work right how do we get there you know from the early stages of it and i think the early stages are going to shape the result you say to people who uh, maybe are starting late like maybe there are adults out there mm-hmm. that that would be interested in playing music because they're like oh no i'll never be good enough it'll never be perfect enough i mean what advice would you give to people like that who who maybe are feeling discouraged um well i i, I guess that would that would really be about why you want to do it mm-hmm. you know why do you want to play an instrument why do you want to play music i mean if it's because you want to, you know, concertize around the world or, you know, you want to uh, join a band and become a rock star. Just like anything, you have to take into account what it takes to get there, right? Yeah. When we're adults and we want to start a new or start learning a new skill, our lives are much different than we were, we were kids, right? So the time that we can dedicate to a particular task is very limited, yeah. Uh, so that's on 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 one side. The the other is there are physical developmental stages that you know when we're younger we adapt so much better to certain movements and certain ways of thinking and certain training. Uh, the neuroplasticity is much greater when you were younger. So uh, people that learn a, a language, a new language, later on in their lives tend to have more of you know accents and make certain mistakes and uh which is normal now can you learn perfectly yes but it'll take a lot more time you know probably some like pronunciation and and, and speech practice very particular practice uh because your neuroplasticity is different and the same with 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 playing an instrument your muscles are tend to be more stiff when you're an adult than when you're a kid mm. Uh, so your your hands will adapt differently to the instrument. Uh, for example, I know I know I, I play almost zero guitar, but for me, when I hold a guitar and I try to you know play stuff, my hand gets tired very quickly, and I'm not used to those awkward positions, you know. But for you, Oliver, it's probably so natural just to grab a guitar and just you know navigate your way around it and 
And uh, yeah, see? I mean, it's just it's like nothing, right? It's natural. It just feels natural because you've right. probably been doing it since you were very young. But I also play the cello, and I started playing the cello as an adult, and I get tired. There you go. After an hour or so of cello, I need a break. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. So yeah, it's just what you're used to. Um, so I I think there is a lot of you know behind the timing is when you start learning a new skill. In this case, an, an instrument, but that you can mm -hmm. substitute that for whatever it may be, whether it's martial yeah. arts or ballet mm -hmm. or. So if you're going to start late, be gentle on yourself, because it right and adjust, not be adjust, adjust your expectations. And most important, well, you know, we 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 also tend to you know carry a lot of baggage when we're yeah. <laughs> adults. It's and, gotta be perfect. No, and we yeah, tend to compare yeah. ourselves. I should be better than this by now. We tend yeah. to compare ourselves and, and and be like, oh, you know, I started at 25 years old or 30 years old, and I want to be like such and such, who has you know a. Uh, master's degree or a mm. black belt mm -hmm. and you're like well let's adjust the expectation here we're not saying you cannot do it but let's start the process first before you mm -hmm. you know you obsess about this idea of like this is who i want to become mm -hmm. right. which is completely mm -hmm. com you know it's, it's, it's you know, out I, of touch with reality i i had a friend who was a very good golfer and he was like semi-pro. He might have actually like been on the pro tour a little bit. And I was in his office and he had a little little golf club, little little putter and, you know, a little ball in there. And so I'm like, all right, so how do I do this? Teach me how to do this the right way. I'm thinking in my mind, like, like I'm thinking like an adult. Now, what's the right way? And how do I yeah. stand? <laughs> and how do I hold this right? And he, he says, oh, no, man. He said, just... Just be a kid again. He said, if you were a little kid and you had fun, you'd just go for it. you just put that thing in the hole. And he would refuse to, like, teach me the right way because he's like, that's not how you're going to learn. He's like, like, he wanted me to, like, recapture, just be a curious kid again and just knock the ball in. You know, and he insisted on that. There's some sense in that. Um, uh, I have a lot of um, that old baggage around trying to mm -hmm. be perfect, try to be good at things, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're learning. That's my inner voice, right? And um, my invitation that I give myself and have been giving myself is just to be mindful of that and to remind myself to be soft, to be playful, and to be curious. Like all the things that you're saying totally resonate with me mm. because um, um, uh, a little while ago, Oliver was, was showing me um, some basic drum beats on the, on the drum set. And that was probably 40 to 50% of my mindset was relax and pretend that there's no time uh that you're just a kid that you're learning this for the first time mm -hmm. and just enjoy and anytime you feel any creeping sense of of discomfort because you're not doing it or you don't feel like you're getting it right just relax smile inwardly and start again yeah. and keep doing that and retrain my, my thought was okay carlos just keep retraining yourself to be enjoying it and to be yeah. curious and to keep softening and not have this harshness around right, it because absolutely. that harshness creates a tension right. that I hate. Yeah, you just I gotta, see the results of it and it just creates worse. You know, be present in the moment and, and, and embrace whatever happens. You know, yeah. just that 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 complete acceptance of whatever happens in a moment. I think is super valuable because I think yeah. the true the, the real learning happens <clears throat> after you do the activity that you're doing. Right. Right. Uh, I'm teaching so martial then arts. Then maybe the same thing. like later in retrospect, you can be like, oh, you know, I really had a great time, but I wonder if. Oh, maybe I can try this next time or, you know, or, oh, wow, now I understand why this wasn't happening. 
or why I wasn't I wasn't able to do this. It was because of such and such. But this happened like way after. It can happen even weeks later. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, when I teach martial arts, I'd see a lot of that frown, that concentration frown that people do, mm-hmm. and. Um, People would be doing uh, the forms or different postures, different movements, or trying to do an application or work on on something, and I'd see this um, unnecessary, seemingly self-imposed stress that they're putting on themselves. And it was a big thing for me that I would notice that and try to remind people um, to let go, maybe have them go for a little walk or just kind of shake it off and Mm -hmm. start again. Um, But it's really tough because I realize those patterns are so deeply ingrained if I had known more NLP then, as I do now, I probably would have been able to get through a lot more of that just by helping people to rehearse yeah, in a different way. That's true. That's and true. Using language in a different way. It's 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 like we all try really really hard to relax. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> relax hard. harder. Harder. Relax know, harder. What one of one of yeah. the yeah. first one of the first things that I do with <laughs> with with students, especially when they're when they're young, um, is teaching them how to relax. And the first thing that I do is actually, if they're there with the parent, I do it with the parent first. Mm. And I show, you know, the parent how difficult it can be if if you're not used to it. That's smart. Mm, yeah. yeah. So they understand, you know, the kid, the kid learns it in five minutes. It's amazing. Then the younger mm. they are, the better. And we make it a game. Mm. I call it like the nothing game. Just do nothing. Hmm. Oh, the nothing game. The nothing game. Oh, yeah. That's cool, man. It's a yeah, tough yeah. game. It's the nothing yeah. game. Just do nothing, right? So I grab their arms and I you know, flap them around and I grab mm. their shoulders and I grab their arms and put them up and I call it like the celebration like this. So mm. they go like this, but they're not super, I'm supposed to control their arms and not them. Mm-hmm. So you've got their hands over their head, you're shaking yeah. them. Yeah. And mm. and I I'm, I mean, I've been doing this for a long time, so I can feel any tension, you know, if yeah. they have any resistance in the movement mm-hmm. or if they're tensing up or uh-huh. or even if they're trying to move. A lot of the times, you know, I'll grab their hand and I and I'll move it up and then very slowly bring it down, and I can see that they're trying to to hold it. And I tell them, mm-hmm. no, just let it go, just let it go. I, five to ten minutes is enough for them to to get it. Yeah, mm. that's something similar that we do with uh, um, Twaisho push hands. Yeah, very yeah. similar uh, yeah. actually. Yeah, and, yeah. And, oh, yeah, you're doing definitely. something. Stop doing anything. Yeah. Right, just right. So stop this doing is something. Totally. And and this yeah. is also conditioning the body to. I mean, there's naturally certain movements are naturally going to create tension. But now you are familiar with the feeling of no tension. Yeah. So you just, yeah. when you're at that moment of tension, bring yourself to the state of no tension. Yeah. And you know what that's like. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's really the, 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 the most important part of it, why I teach it, you know, like such an early stage. This is much harder to teach when they're older. Have you noticed, like, w- with the adults, like, sometimes you say, okay, let me lift your hand. Don't help me at all. Like, literally. None of them have and you passed my, my no- none of them have won the nothing game. Right. <laughs> you lift their arm and their arm's yeah. holding in the air and you're, and you're like, can you just let go? And they can't. Yeah. Or they, 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 they tell yeah. you they can't. Well, actually, even kids, <laughs> kids, you know, after like 12 years old, they can no longer do it. It's amazing. Hmm. Wow. But you I do it with, with, you know, I, I, I no longer teach uh, a lot of... Uh, really young kids mm. but uh the time that i that i have actually right now i only have one mm. uh six-year-old mm. he's an expert he's always he always wins at the nothing game oh yeah always every time he's like, a natural that is so cool Lonzo. i'm gonna use that i'm gonna, <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna try that the nothing game yeah. is great I like well that. you know i um you know teach occupational therapy right yeah. so one of the things that'll happen is we'll have a bunch of students in a lab and we say okay let's pretend that you're transferring a person who's completely paralyzed from the wheelchair to the mat. Oh, right. Right. And so it is 
so challenging at times to get the person who's being transferred from a wheelchair to a mat to really act like a true paralyzed person. Mm -hmm. They want to help. We're always telling them, stop helping her. Stop helping her. No, you're helping. You're helping. If you if you know you, we've got to train each other so that if this person if your patient really was paralyzed, you'd be able to do it without them helping you. But you're all helping each other. Mm-hmm. Right? It's, it's very hard. It takes a while to to to, to get them to let let that go. You know. So I like that. Yeah. Nothing imagine game. if we yeah. came in and hypnotized them first. Yeah, you're all paralyzed. They'd be all on the floor. <laughs> right? yeah. 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 This is this is Taoism right here, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, right, what, right. what is the, the master does nothing yet nothing is left undone yeah right? mm-hmm. absolutely wow. that's right yeah that's right that's yeah. practical Taoism it is practical Taoism mm-hmm. yeah. yeah you're listening to the authenticity show with your hosts, Carlos Casados, Satch Purcell, and Oliver Altine. In this final segment, we continue our conversation with pianist Lonzo Luconi, exploring the difference between difficulty and complexity in music, the pros and cons of natural talent, and how to be a great student. Stick around. hear i'm sure from your students that things are hard right the assignment you're giving them is hard mm-hmm. or the piece is hard right i mean can you speak to that a little bit about you know people's yeah, perceptions I'm, of what's I'm, difficult i'm very and what very isn't? careful i'm very very cu- careful and it's not that i don't use that I, I sometimes i can say oh very difficult or this is very hard but i only i, I i'm very strategic and very careful that when i say this is to appeal to their motivation so you're not saying well that's too hard you can't do it you're saying that's hard. Let's do it. Um, well, it, it, again, it, it really depends on the kid. It really depends mm-hmm. on the conversation that we're having and when. You know, um, if they're just starting to learn new repertoire, then I wouldn't even bring it up, right? Because right. then they get distracted, or uh, or if I know that the you know the kid doesn't have a lot of time to practice, then I don't. But again, it's like the framing around there, right? Like. When, when we start a new piece, for example, it's it's amazing sometimes, especially with kids, how you know there's a like objectively objectively difficult passage or different section of the piece, but if you don't say anything, they can play it. But if you've said something at the beginning, they'll be like, "Oh, this part is difficult." Boom, block. All right, you're yeah. you're you're installing a mental block without even, you know, starting. Mm-hmm. And, and it's actually fascinating to see like and sometimes you know i see i teach some of the pieces that it, when i was younger i i played and they played effortlessly and i remember struggling in some some parts this is where you have to be also very careful like oh i remember this part was very difficult for me but i don't need to say anything because they 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 have to you know fight their own battles and they have to go through it themselves and i don't want to you know, mess or with that with that process. So, Indeed. is there is there a difference between difficulty and complexity? Absolutely. Um, so, what what is difficulty? Difficulty we we, we tend to think of as you know um, a level of, of of performance or level of skill that you need to have to perform a specific task. Um, but it's so subjective. Difficulty is a completely subjective uh, term and concept. 
uh, whereas complexity is is uh, objective. Complexity is just um, well, basically, like a, the quantity of, of processes or, or or steps or layers. Like uh, you know, complex equations are not always difficult equations. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I, I see that a lot with students that are learning anatomy. Anatomy is not really hard. There's just a lot of it. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, but but each right. piece really isn't very hard. Mm-hmm. We just get overwhelmed with the amount. You know. And we were talking earlier it. about about walking, right? Yeah. Walking is a highly complex activity. Mm-hmm. It's very mm-hmm. very complex. Yeah. However, for most people, it's not difficult. But why is it not difficult? Practice. Well, right. Some of the simplest things or simplest concepts are, are very, very hard to do. Simplifying your life sounds like a simple idea. You know, you're, mm-hmm. you're going to take the categories of your life, uh, organize them in the way that makes the most sense and, you know, trim the fat, so to speak. But it can be some of the most emotionally difficult things and and there's a lot because there's a lot in the way there's it's emotions right subjectivity involves emotions memories right uh, right right right. you know experiences and a whole lot of things right um but that same subjectivity you know means that it it might be difficult for you but it might not be difficult for someone else it's like oh that's all that i had to do oh okay here we go and then they do it and then that's it you know and then you that's meaning again, right? It's it Victor Frankel's uh, absolutely man in search of meaning, right? right yeah, know, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The meaning yeah. making, yeah, right. right, right, right. Same concept. We've totally, talked about totally, that before. Oh, yeah, we have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Lonzo, um, I'm sure you get some students that have a lot of natural ability, and I'm sure you get students that maybe this isn't so natural for them. So, um, uh, do you have any thoughts or or ways that you approach this idea of of natural ability? Like, are some people just genetically gifted and can do this and how do you teach those that maybe perceive themselves as not so gifted right this is this is a a fascinating topic because um you can you can see this in 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 every you know field some people are just truly like very naturally gifted and uh, there's many elements that that come into play with this uh some of it is genetics uh there's also your environment and i think that's even more important your environment. Uh, we are a product of our environment, and especially when we're kids, we're shaped by the environment that we grew up that we grow up in. Um, and in 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 the particular case of some of my students, uh, yes, there's some genetics that come into it. There's some you know intelligence, uh, natural intelligence that they're born with. They're just it's easy for them to grasp some concepts, and especially abstract concepts. Um, but then there's the environment. They 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 have the support of the parent. There's always music. There's always encouragement. Uh, so this you know feeds that curiosity, feeds that desire to learn, feeds that um, example of of uh, excellence and, and and you know high level performance and enjoyment of whatever activity they're doing. In this case, music and just enjoying what you're doing, enjoying what you're playing. Um, and you know I've been uh, fortunate enough to have some of these students, and it's truly a, a joy to work with them. Um, and then there's others. I mean, there's all kinds. You know, everyone's is, is is different. And this this is just in one category of their lives. In this case, music. Right. This gifted kid might not be so gifted in other activities. 
uh, and this happens all the time. I'd like to, to, to get to know my students. I like to know what they like, what they do outside of, of their school and their, you know, piano courses. Uh, and a lot of them, you know, are extremely gifted in other areas. I've had kids that might not be so, so, uh, you know, proficient or so, uh, agile in, in the performance of the instrument, but they are amazing at coding. For example, I've had, you know, have an 11 year old student right now that already builds websites from scratch coding. Mm. He's 11. Mm -hmm. And when he talks about it with me, I, I feel like he's just talking in a different language. Mm entirely and uh give, say, like, give give us his number yeah seriously <laughs> <laughs> i think we could use a, a seriously a, yeah a, a web yeah. guy uh, and we can't pay him because that would be child labor oh, that's <laughs> right. true. so that's true yeah um <laughs> so yeah and, and and of course talent you know and and I, i've read books about this actually a very famous book i think it's uh john maxwell talent is not enough mm. <clears throat> Right. Mm -hmm. Have you heard of this book? No, no I haven't. John Maxwell. Yeah. John Maxwell. Yeah. yeah. That sounds um, good. Uh, talent, guy. Talent, yeah. yeah. Talent is not enough, and and I totally agree with this. It's amazing. Um, the uh, the fact that you're talented, first of all, doesn't guarantee anything, and it actually sometimes can be a, an obstacle, a burden, on the person because it it you know they have such ability to to uh, perform in, 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 in the, that particular art that they tend to not try their best, not give it their best, just because they, they know they can get by. Yeah, yeah. I've, yeah, seen, yeah. I've yeah. seen that. And, uh, well, you know, it, it reminds me, and I, I don't know who first came up with this, but it's the idea that um, not just anybody born could be a gold medalist in the Olympics. Right. But nobody who has the the natural talent to become a gold medalist in the Olympics didn't have to work their ass off to get there. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's 100%. Yeah. yeah. 100%. It really doesn't matter uh, how talented you are in the end uh, is, you know, who puts in the effort that, mm. that needs to be put to reach that goal. Uh, right. But some people have to work a little harder than others. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one thing I found is that people who have had to work a little harder end up being better teachers in my experience because they they're more intimately familiar with the process instead of just getting it right away yeah yeah that's yeah. that's uh, that's very accurate and, and if you take a look at you know the history of the greatest performers uh, most of them were not great teachers yeah i've had some terrible master classes with virtuoso performers right but they just didn't really have the <laughs> the, the the language to explain exactly. to me because it, it came so easy to exactly them, you know? and you know sometimes you know getting to that level of, of proficiency it's almost like unlocking you know like uh, it's unlocking that 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 talent sometimes you mm. need a lot of work to unlock it some people just are just born with that talent box already unlocked mm -hmm. yeah so what you're saying is they're born without a lock so they're deficient <laughs> right <laughs> it's a deficiency it's not the a talent deficiency, it's a deficiency. Yeah. you're born without yeah. a lot yeah um so um yeah when when you're working hard and of course you had you have also good guidance i think that's key but then the the um acknowledgement and the awareness that you're in this process and you have to maybe if you even if you have to work harder than everyone else you're 
at a, at a, you know in a way learning more than everyone else yeah. because you 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 are learning more about yourself yeah right it's a it's like a you know and, and that's what practice is really about is about knowing yourself and also about you know learning about the process itself and that just goes back and forth it's just retrofeeds um the more you discover about the process the more you discover about yourself but also the more that you discover about yourself the more things you can discover about the process um yeah self-discovery yeah it's beautiful so right and 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 the people that are just naturally gifted they don't they they put their attention to 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 other things yeah Uh, Yeah. that reminds me of the of the saying all knowledge is self-knowledge right you know yeah yeah all knowledge is self-knowledge Well, yeah, and, and I think there's a basic principle, yeah. you know, to overcoming overcoming uh, challenges. Like, if you don't have any challenges to overcome, what have you learned, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, there you go. So, yeah. when you struggle a lot with something, then you tend to learn a lot yeah. more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you also learn a lot about yourself uh, by performing, too. By f- facing, you know, the pressure of performance and you know rising above it perhaps you know right sometimes yeah. failing sometimes succeeding. right i, I like lot. i like to think of performance as like the culmination of a particular le- uh, learning process or practice process it's like yeah. the, the the result of this is is uh is the performance right so mm. um whether it goes well or it doesn't go so well gives you a lot of feedback about not just the performance mm-hmm. itself mm-hmm. but the process mm-hmm. anything right? yeah. worth doing is worth doing poorly at first yeah and i i, I believe yeah, you know i always great. i always use this yeah. quote co- this quote with my with my students i think it's from bruce lee i have to check the source but mm. you you'll only fight as you train mm-hmm. right it sounds mm-hmm. like something he'd say yeah you're only as good as your practice and you only perform as you train well that that, that goes back to what we were saying about you know practice and and uh, practice making permanent you know they there was a a dance instructor that i remember where i first heard that i think at least i think that's where i heard it um it's not you know practice makes perfect it's mm. practice makes permanent so only perfect practice could make permanent well, perfect yeah or, 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 or i guess <laughs> well, perfect practice you know wouldn't I mean. make perfect right <laughs> mm-hmm. um yeah. if you're if you're used to do, doing everything with excellence one of them being your practice then you 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 have much higher chances of performing successfully whatever that is right and mm-hmm. the better your practice is mm-hmm. the better the chances i mean doesn't mean that you're always going to perform perfect no you know sometimes you might have a bad day sometimes you might be tired sometimes you might have a headache or you might be sick but in 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 any case uh it's very important to look back after you know uh, regardless of how the performance went look back and 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 revisit the process reevaluate the process and then that self evaluation the more you do it uh, becomes a standard after action review right, right. what did i do well uh, what didn't i do so well exactly. where do i go from here um and this goes i think this has to go hand in hand by you know first your own your, your self assessment and your your mentor or your you know, whatever, whoever's guiding you through this process is fundamental to this too. Because you, when you begin, you don't have a standard. You don't know how things are. You only learn them 
with with the experience by doing them many times after you do it enough you start building that sense of a standard right but all that also being built by your by your teacher right your instructor um, and once you can consistently meet that standard you can start you know how we call it raising the bar mm. well speaking on uh, correcting or making corrections um, you you've taught quite a lot and you've been a student quite a lot in your life um, what about people who have difficulty accepting correction I mean what what has been your experience with that and do you have advice around um, being able to accept correction in the best possible way so you can make improvements so f- first of all and that's a that's a great question because what what does it mean when someone is trying to resist change there's something deeper than that right there you have to dig in see what's going on behind that because you know if someone is not listening to you it's probably not really about you it might not even be about in this case the piano mm-hmm. there might be something else and mm-hmm. they're not telling you and probably they don't consciously know they just have this uh, automatic response of, of rejection of the instruction right um, so here's where you know you have to use your communication skills and in my case NLP helped a lot especially in building the rapport with the student even you know more to try to just understand try to you know know where they're coming from and and why this is happening and sometimes even talking about unrelated stuff just uh, find some common ground and see what their thought process is like and and get into their model of the world and uh, once you get that you can you know start start understanding their motives to uh, resisting this and then also as a teacher you have to decide where well is this worth you know changing or is this a defense mechanism for something else is this uh, is this going to require too much energy for someone that's ultimately not interested in doing this anyways you know those are things that you have to to think you know you you can't win them all (laughs) And sometimes you m- you have to make some sacrifices. And sometimes, you know, f- people learning an instrument is not making them happy. And that's why they resist. Mm. So here's what you have to be, you know, wise enough like to... feels like a labor or whatever. Right. Sometimes they're forced to do it. Um, and I try to be as fun as possible, but some people are just really not interested. And I don't blame them. Not everyone has to play an instrument, right? Mm-hmm. Or may- not everyone has to play the piano. Yeah. You know, my, my wife um, used to play piano. And when she was, um, you know, a kid back in Kenya, she had a piano teacher that she just adored. She loved going for her lessons. She loved this teacher. And she was learning a lot on the piano. Um, But then her mom heard of this other piano teacher that was really well-respected and was like the piano teacher to go to. Mm -hmm. So she switched her over to the other piano teacher. Well, she didn't like this piano teacher. It wasn't fun anymore. Mm. It was all about being strict and about doing things. You know, it's right. it's about straining, and and she lost interest. So she always had some ability to play, um, but probably would have gone a lot farther with the piano teacher that she was having fun with and loved because mm-hmm. it was it was playing the instrument and also this teacher that she liked so much. You know, and so. Right another teacher was not about fun. It was about yeah. performing and it was about, well, it, you know, and she lost interest. That says a lot about also the chemistry that you established with your students. 
right. because that's also that's also just her interpretation, her perception of this teacher as not being fun just because it's probably different and strict. Right. I have a right, lot of right, kids right, also. Right. That, I mean, I I tend to be very strict with my students, mm-hmm. but I have a lot of fun with a lot of them too. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Uh, right. So being strict is not does mm-hmm. not equal. You know, right. being strict can boring. Be fun. Strict yeah. can be fun, yeah. Especially, yeah. especially you know, and, and I always use the analogy of of, of learning um, the rules of a game so you can have fun mm-hmm. playing it. So at the beginning, it's like, okay, you really need to know the rules first. If you don't know the rules, we can't f- have fun with this game. It's just going to be you know random and chaos, and and mm-hmm. we won't understand you know what we're doing, what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if if we learn the rules, then we can have fun. You know, yeah. If you want to yeah. play basketball, you have to know what the boundaries are. That you cannot, you know, travel with the ball. You cannot take more than you know three or four steps, and mm-hmm. you know you you cannot like hit people, or you cannot, you know, yeah. throw the ball in your own basket. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and with, with music, especially, I always say you have to learn the rules before you can break them. Right. Yeah, Actually, right. that that's that's a very famous quote from Picasso. He said, oh, "You have to learn Picasso, the rules yeah, like yeah. a pro, so there you can you break them like an artist." Right. Beautiful, and and he yeah. could draw amazingly picture perfect i mean exactly what he saw he could draw so perfectly but he wasn't interested in that yeah after a while yeah right. he, he he branched off from that and when right. i see other artists that that don't um haven't mastered the basic art um it it doesn't allow for as much room for their expression mm-hmm. in my opinion uh, right just just looking at what they do yeah, yeah, yeah. there and, isn't as much room and that that also gives value to uh the fundamentals of mm-hmm. your art like always always being firm on your on your fundamentals right on mm-hmm. uh for example in martial arts mm-hmm. and, and, and mm-hmm. uh, in sports you know going through the very basic motions and <laughs> and keeping you know working on that maintenance of that um yeah. mastery w- is mastery of the basics exactly yeah. absolutely absolutely and, we, uh, you know back on the on the the feedback thing um i was thinking about my own experience of being on the receiving end of feedback plus having been many times the person giving feedback. Mm-hmm. And like you say, there, there's, there are all these um, triggers that could be there that have nothing to do with the thing that you're actually mm-hmm. talking about, but it, it triggers this old memory or whatever it is. But one of the things I've used um, to help me get into a better position to receive feedback is to get really, really clear ahead of time, why am I here? Right. If I'm here to learn, that's one thing. So I start uh-huh. with the end in mind. The other, the other thing is, after starting with the end of the mind that I want to learn something is actually deciding that the emotional um, sort of psychological space that I'm in when I receive the feedback makes all the difference in the world. Mm-hmm. If I'm thinking that I'm being chastised, it's because it's triggering an old memory and it has nothing to do with the mm-hmm. subject matter. Right. But if I step into the role of someone who will eventually be an expert at this, like if I presuppose that I've got to be good at this or that I want to be good at that's even more important, mm-hmm. that I want to be good at this because right. I enjoy this, then I'm not less than the person who's giving me feedback i'm just as you know i'm on an equal terms in a sense like maybe not in the sense that their skills higher than me but as human beings we're looking eye to eye and i'm receiving that feedback with a full openness because i want it's as if i was telling myself what i need to do better so why would i not want to hear this correction absolutely this is giving me an opportunity to get better so i'm Taking the attitude of yes, bring it. Please right. tell me everything I need to know right so, now. So, so this is, I mean, in principle, is is this is a hundred percent accurate and and it's a hundred percent reasonable. But you know, when you're when you're dealing with different types of people and from different ages as well, yeah, reason is not is not part of you know of, of the um, 
yeah, ingredients equation. that you're that you're dealing with here. Um, well, and it takes practice too, because you can slip out of it real easy. Right. So, so for example, um, this is much easier to to achieve with maybe you know older students, mm-hmm. but when you're dealing with you know eight, nine, ten year olds, and you ask them, so why are you here? Why do you want to you know? Mm-hmm. Why do you want to learn the piano? I don't know. I don't know. My mom made me. There's very few that are going to be like, oh, because it's fun, because I love it, because I'd like to, you know, see how far I can get. Yeah. You know, that's going to be very rare. The most common answer is, I don't know. Yeah. There's a there's a physiological posture that happens when people are diminishing, and it's usually a sunken chest, shoulders right, up, shoulders kind of up. defensive posture, which is, you know, if you think about it, it protects your vital nerves, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're blocking to protect the areas of your body that are yeah, soft and vulnerable. vulnerable. Areas, yeah. um, so it kind of makes sense. And then, of course, there's tightness around the breath and stuff. So um, from an um, educational standpoint, uh, when we do uh, like the speaker trainings and things like that, when we're training how to receive feedback, one of the things we have people do is adjust their posture you know Mm. if we find that someone has slipped out of that leader state or that trainer state that they've been developing all week um we remind them to go back to that Mm -hmm. space first so then we can continue our feedback and then they're able to take the feedback better Mm -hmm. but you notice as soon as they fall out of that physical that physiological state all of a sudden they're getting defensive they're saying but 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 and they're arguing right or tears come up or their eyes well up and you, you sense this justification thing happening, and it's totally different. If you get them to stop, take a deep breath, step back into your leader state again, all of a sudden they can receive the feedback and they totally get it. It's so yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um, what I tend to do sometimes if I see, for example, that uh, um, you know a student can't you know play a particular passage or I, I feel like they're starting to get frustrated, uh, before they reach the boiling point, I come in with a pattern interrupt. Cool. You know? And that way, because once you reach that boiling point, it takes hours, if not days, sometimes weeks to come down and be, you know, available for to information mm, to yeah. come in again. Mm-hmm. It's hard uh, to put out a fire. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes, you know, the teacher has nothing to do with it. It's just a student. For example, I'm, I, as a student, used to be like that. Man, I, I, I used to reach the boiling point and it was all, it was all on me. And I even at that age accepted it like, you know, my, my, my teachers, you know, maybe they, they would push me sometimes, but, uh, it was, it would be me myself that would, that would, uh, put that pressure. Have you ever thrown a piano out the window? (laughs) If, if, if I had the strength, I would have, but I probably threw everything that was around me. That'd be an expensive temper tantrum. Oh, it would. would. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, Lonzo, where do you teach? Well, I um, currently I'm teaching at the Opus 119 School of Music in Irvine, California. I also teach in my home studio. And uh, I'm also currently developing a number of international uh, events, educational events. I run the Costa Rica International Piano Festival, the Costa Rica Music Entrepreneurship Seminar, and uh, now we're developing other projects around jazz and chamber music. We are also developing concepts around um, cultural and musical tourism in Costa Rica. Wow. So, so you're an international entrepreneur. Uh, yes, I would say so. <laughs> that's, that's 
That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> International man of mystery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, baby. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, why the, that's why the beard, you have to hide your true identity, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Pura vida. Pura vida, maes. Pura vida. Maes. You know, maes, like dude. Oh, my. all right. Cool. And if, if you ever hear uh, a group or even two Costa Ricans speak to each other, my, mm-hmm. the word my is going to appear at least three times in each sentence. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah. So. Yeah, like dude. Yeah. Yeah, but dude, like dude, 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 right? dude, dude. Right. <laughs> Gosh, it's been a, a wonderful conversation. Oh yeah, I I love this. It was yeah. We should do it again sometime. To, uh, we we had a nice yeah. ensemble going on. Yeah. Yes, we did. Yeah, that's right. A quartet. Yeah, nice quartet. Yeah. We all stayed uh, mm-hmm. accurately in tune. A lot of the things you said struck a real chord with me. I'm sure it will with our <laughs> listeners as well. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Nice. And, uh, we resolved all the dissonances. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Excellent. Excellent. I made lots of notes. I hope our listeners have mm. as well. <laughs> You've been listening to The Authenticity Show with your hosts, Carlos Casados, Satch Purcell, and Oliver Altine. Very special thanks to our guest today, Lonzo Luconi. If you'd like to keep in touch with Lonzo, his Facebook and Instagram is at Costa Rica Piano. His website is www.CostaRicaPianoFestival.com. This show is produced by Oliver Altine. That's me. Our theme music is composed by Oliver Altine. That's also me. Please subscribe to our show on iTunes, Android Market, wherever you get your podcasts. And check out our website, AuthenticityShow.com. Thanks for listening, and have an authentic day.